61st episode of Barbershop Sports Talk. Wherever you are, wherever you may be listening, I want to thank you for making me and this show part of your day. Host Daryl D. Lane, as always. I want to thank you for tuning in, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, whichever podcasting platform or avenue you are listening to me via. I appreciate it. Being recorded from Buffalo, New York. Going to have a great show for you today. Going to have Jackson Gatlin on. He hosts the Locked On Rockets podcast. I have a very interesting interview with him. We have a great conversation. So we're going to get to that. Cut him next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have a very special guest with us, Jackson Gatlin. He covers the Houston Rockets, and he does the Locked on Rockets podcast. How you doing, Jackson? I'm doing pretty good, Daryl, my man. I'm excited to be here with you. I, and I'll tell you what, you know, I, I love the name of the podcast, but I got to tell you, I wish I was at an actual barbershop, because I'm looking a little rough around the edges right now, you know, since quarantine started. Oh, we all are. We all are. We, we, we all are. We all are. We've all been looking a little rough. Uh, you know, quick, you, you, you basically got two guys, right? You got two subsets of guys. You got the guys who, about a month in, they decided to shave all their hair off, and you got the other set of guys that are walking around looking like woolly mammoths. So, the, I, you know, I, I actually fall into the category. I attempted to shave all my hair off, and I, I say attempted. I did it. I, I shaved it all the way down to nothing, and I've never done that before. And I thought it looked pretty decent. I thought I did a decent fade on myself, and I posted a picture in my car one day. And a couple of people on my Instagram, they were like, man, you look like Chandler Parsons. And, <laughs> and my, Instagram is, my Instagram is personal. Now, I got a few people that follow me for Rocket stuff on there, but I do most of my damage on Twitter. So, of course, I had to take that comment back to Twitter where all my Rockets listeners are at. And I was like, man, all right, y'all can go ahead and clown me. I guess I look like Parsons. And, everybody, man, everybody lit me up. I got ratioed, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I know some people that are actually bringing their barbers to their house uh, because that's how barbers are kind of staying in business, right? They're not I get deemed essential, so they still got to make some of their money somehow. So they're actually doing like private uh, uh, private cuts in people's houses. Or they're having Absolutely, people come to their house. Yeah. They're having people come to their house. Yeah, I never got around to doing that. I never got around to doing that. I just tried to do a, a little self-service cut. Now, I, I don't think I'll ever try to pull one of those again. But now I can say I did it. Got it out of the way. Yeah, I'm just growing out my hair. <laughs> I'm just growing out my hair. I'm going to have a huge afro by the time this is all over. <laughs> That's probably what's going to happen. But what I do want to ask you is this, right? So where were you? Because I just want you to describe this to me because it's a really interesting time when kind of Corona hit and kind of shut down everything. So I kind of want to know, when did you kind of, when was it kind of the... The, the thought for you that, wow, the NBA might shut down because of this, and when it happened, what did you think? 
Well, I can tell you what I was doing is, so, you know, everything, basically, right, we were, so fun story, I actually had just bought a brand new TV because it was a couple days, if, if memory serves, the NBA officially shut down on a Wednesday, I think it was, because the following day, that Thursday, was supposed to be a matchup between the Houston Rockets and the Los Angeles Lakers. And I just bought a brand new TV, and I was going to host a bunch of guys over at my place to watch the game. And unfortunately, we never got that game. Now, and the night before, after having bought this brand new gigantic TV and getting ready, you know, to, to have a bunch of guys over and watch this game, I was also asked to be a part of a roundtable for Hoop Magazine. And as I'm like answering these roundtable questions, I was kind of submitting it a little bit later than I had intended. And that was when the news broke. And so we're kind of like discuss. I'm, I'm talking to the guy who was in charge of the roundtable. And his name is Josh Everly. If you don't follow him on Twitter, he's a great guy. And you know, I'm talking to him. I'm like, "Hey, so you're not going to do this roundtable anymore, right? The league is the league is done. Like, this is everything's canceled." He goes, "Yeah, we're scrapping the roundtable, man. Don't worry about submitting your answers." And so that was kind of that. I was in the middle of just kind of drafting up some answers for this little NBA roundtable, and uh, suddenly everything was uh, put on hold. Surreal. Now, there's talks right now that the NBA will start up again, and I think it probably will. There, there's probably going to be some version of the postseason, right, because there's too much money kind of at stake. So, so, so what do you think? Do you think we'll see a season? I think, I think absolutely at this point we're going to get a season. Now, there's still a lot of variables in play as to what the season is going to look like, what the timetable is going to look like as far as are they going to get, you know, a real training camp? You know, the, the, the dates that are in mind right now, and the, the, the main date to look at is that Adam Silver has kind of issued the, the decree, hopefully, that, you know, players will be back in their respective market by June 1st. And the kind of idea behind that is that he wants those players, you know, players like, for example, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, they're not here in Houston right now. James Harden is out in Arizona going through a very intensive boot camp to stay NBA ready before the season, you know, for the season to return. Russell Westbrook doing the exact same thing in his home of uh, Los Angeles. So those two guys aren't here in Houston. Now, ideally, they'll be back here in Houston by June 1st. And the idea behind that is that then they can start getting some team workouts going at the, at the practice facilities, then kind of maybe institute some form of a training camp. And then hopefully we'll get some type of the the big talks right are getting some type of a bubble environment either at disney world or at vegas or someplace and even houston was mentioned as a potential location besides those first two because they have the right facilities to potentially house you know half of you know the nba in one quarantined area to keep the players and the coaching staffs and the uh essential employees safe and to be able to resume the season that way so i think we're looking at some version of the NBA basketball coming back, hopefully, I'd say mid-July optimistically, maybe push that date a little bit more further back, though. So sometime in July, I'm thinking we're going to get to see some NBA basketball. Now, and you kind of mentioned this, that both Harden and Westbrook are going through intensive training. So what's kind of that training looking like? Well, for James Harden specifically, one, for anybody who's interested in really in-depth Rockets coverage, you have to be following Kelly Eco from The Athletic. That guy, just he put out a wonderful piece covering exactly what James Harden was doing in Arizona and, and is continuing to do. And the thing that he's working on is he's doing these intensive workouts that kind of fine-tune what he is best at. 
And what James Harden is best at is it's his deceleration. And anybody who has, you know, talked to a Rockets fan has probably had this topic come up before regarding James Harden. Is you know, he might not be, you know, the, the highest leaper or the most, the fastest player on the court or the most athletically gifted, but what he does have is he is crafty and his ability to his ability to stop on a dime to decelerate and just his overall body control and his footwork are otherworldly. And that's what makes him so deadly on a basketball court. So the types of workouts that he's doing, he's doing these types of workouts where he's basically like uh, doing these power drills in sand to provide resistance against his against his muscles. And I'm not I'm not a sports scientist by any stretch of the imagination. So a lot of the a lot of the terminology does kind of fly over my head. But they do feature an actual sports scientist in the article that Kelly Eco wrote for the Athletic. And it goes into detail talking about all the different muscle groups that James Harden's been working on doing these intensive workouts in Arizona. Now, Russell Westbrook, on the other hand, we don't know as much about his workouts, although he's a little bit more prominent on social media. He's been working out with Kevin Hart. And he, you know, what Russell Westbrook's a guy that has like 0% body fat on him. And he looks like he's in great shape and ready to, you know, ready to roll as soon as the season does resume. Isn't that part of that's going to be an advantage for the Rockets? Because I feel like a lot of the talk has been with most NBA players is that they don't necessarily have access because, you know, some people vary vary in their incomes, what they can afford. Like, not everybody has the indoor gym like LeBron James has. So there's going to be kind of a variant in terms of how much a player can work out and train their body for the elite performance that you would assume a professional athlete, particularly a professional basketball player, would need. So do you think that given the fact that both Russell Westbrook and James Harden, both of the Rockets stars, are kind of being able to have kind of that intensive training that that will help the Rockets if the postseason, they just drop these teams into the postseason? I think it's definitely an advantage. Um, one, you know, one advantage that nobody has other than LeBron James, you know, his whatever, the, the cryogenic chamber that he, you know, hypothetically sleeps in every night. <laughs> no, but um, uh, no, you know, I think it's, it's funny you mention that because Austin Rivers, sat down and did a podcast with uh, his father, Doc Rivers, and they were talking about some of the ways that teams are keeping players engaged during the hiatus, and apparently Steve Ballmer, owner of the LA Clippers, purchased for every individual player on the roster, he purchased basically an entire in-home gym for them. We're talking like twenty or $30,000 for each player of these like like Peloton bikes and you know workout, workout equipment, weights. Uh, resistance bands, like everything that you can imagine for a gym, and he bought that for each individual player to give them a leg up on the competition. And meanwhile, Austin Rivers was talking about it and saying, you know, kind of cracked a joke saying that for the Rockets, they have uh, voluntary yoga Zoom meetings at 10 a.m., and that's what they've been doing as an organization. Now, that's not a knock on the Rockets because most organizations haven't gone that extra mile that Steve Ballmer did with the Clippers. But I do think that the fact that the two stars for the Houston Rockets in James Harden and Russell Westbrook are out there, not you know, they're not lounging around, they're not taking a, a little mini vacation, they're still grinding, they're still hungry, and they both still really, really want to win this title, and they're ready for the NBA season to come back and hopefully prove everybody wrong and finally win a ring and win a ring together and basically shut up all the haters. And you mentioned when you mentioned haters, there's a lot of skeptics on the Rockets. Like, James Harden, to me, is probably the most disrespected superstar in the NBA. And then Russell Westbrook might be number two. I mean, everybody always talks about 
what both of these guys can't do. And nobody ever talks about the great things that they can do. And I feel like those are the two guys that get the most of that heat. I, I want to know, one, do you agree with me on that? And, and two, kind of what do you think is the mindset around this Rockets team? Do you think I, Do you think they kind of feed into the fact that people say, you know, all they do is shoot threes, they don't play defense. You know, Mike D'Antoni's not a winning coach. Well, first, Daryl, I do agree with you. I, I do think that James Harden is, is easily one of – at this current point in time, he is the most disrespected superstar in the league and has been for a few years. You know, people like to point to the fact, you know, point to the old, oh, James Harden doesn't play defense because the one, you know, bad defensive highlight reel from, you know, years ago. That's not the case. And, and here's the thing is the first the first pillar that Rockets fans and, and media will jump to is saying, oh, well, James Harden is a good post defender. He is a good post defender. He's a phenomenal post defender. And I like to use that stat as well. But beyond that, he is a great individual defender when he's locked in and engaged. Now, I'm also... One thing that I pride myself on and, and have ever since taking over the podcast is I try to be a realist about things. I try not to just, even though I am a fan of the team, I try not to just paint all of my opinions and takes with blind optimism or blind homerism about the Rockets. There are times when James Harden is not engaged defensively, when he does take a play or two off on that side of the basketball. But when you're asking a guy like that to shoulder a mountainous offensive load each and every night, because of the way that the system is designed in Houston, their their offensive system that Mike D'Antoni has implemented, which is basically give James Harden the ball, let him create, and it's either going to be a three for somebody else or a, a layup or a dunk or a step back three for James Harden. And likewise for Russell Westbrook, the ball is in their hands and they decide what happens with it. That offense takes its toll on a player. And so I'm not, I'm, I'm not upset if James Harden takes some plays off on defense. I understand and sympathize with the the load that he has to shoulder on a nightly basis. So I do think he's disrespected in that regard. I don't think people appreciate what he does bring to the table. And same thing for Russell Westbrook. You know, he's not a perfect superstar either, but the things that Russell Westbrook is able to do on a basketball court, there aren't there are very few other players in this in the entire NBA who could do the things that Russell Westbrook does on a nightly basis for this Houston Rockets club. Do you think that James Harden feels kind of pressured, you know, that this is his year, you know, potentially to, to win the championship? Because if you really think about it, like in the NBA landscape, all the major stars have won, like LeBron has won, Kevin Durant has won, uh, Steph Curry has won. R- really, the only two players that I can think of that are kind of like that, that have not won are Russell Westbrook and James Harden. Of course, there's guys like Giannis, but I feel like Giannis is a little bit too young, and I don't feel like Anthony Davis necessarily talked about as much because kind of LeBron shoulders all the conversation there. So you you kind of feel that that there's just so much chatter about the Rockets, and can James Harden win? Do you think that pressure kind of gets to Harden a little bit? I I don't want to speculate on something like that because I'm not inside Harden's brain, right? I, I don't I don't know the inner workings of his mind. I don't know if he you know, listens to the haters the way that, say, a Kevin Durant does to the point of jumping on Twitter and using burners to defend himself. Um, But I do think that there's probably an understanding there between James and between Russ that, you know, at the start of this season at Rockets Media Day, Russell Westbrook said it perfectly. He said, look, James and I have accomplished basically every individual accolade that you can accomplish as an individual player. They've, they've, you know, been on all NBA teams. They've each won an MVP award. 
They they've you know taken they both been to the finals. They went to the finals together. You know they've done almost every little thing that you can think of as an NBA player except for win that ring. And so they know that that's what they need to do, and, and they know that their legacies won't be as great as they could be if they did win that ring. And, and rings culture is a thing that is definitely perpetuated by the players. You know, we see players constantly talking about rings and, you know, how, how important it is. We saw it just recently in the last dance, how important those rings were to the legacy of Michael Jordan and to, to the people that he stopped from getting rings. You know, and I do think that Russell Westbrook, James Harden, they don't want to go down as guys like say, a Charles Barkley or a Steve Nash or, or, you know, John Stockton, you know, guys who were all-time greats, absolutely, but guys who could just never really get over the hump and win that ring. You know, when you look at it, and it would do so much for both of their legacies if they were to win a ring, and I don't want to hear any talk about asterisks or anything if it were to happen this year. There is no asterisk on this championship because everybody's under the same undue burden, undue stress because of COVID-19. So it, it's it's fair playing fields for everybody, in my opinion. Now, I do have to ask you this, because I was really curious about this when this happened. Uh, so the NBA players, uh, when all this is going on last week, whether they're going to have a season or not, Chris Paul, who's the head of the Players Association, he organizes a meeting. I think LeBron James is invited. Kevin Durant and Steph Curry are invited, even though they won't be playing in the postseason. Uh, also, guys like Anthony Davis are invited and Giannis. And, and Wasserbrook's invited. But James Harden is not invited. Now, can you please give me a rational explanation without mentioning the fact that there's obviously tension between Chris Paul and Harden, that Harden would not be invited to this? Because to me, this is beyond petty if that's the case. Um, rational explanation from whose standpoint? From Chris Paul's or from From James Chris Harden? from Chris Paul's. Um, rational explanation from Chris Paul's standpoint. Maybe James Harden just wasn't available for the call. Like, I mean, I, I, I do think that there probably was a bit of bad blood between Chris Paul and James Harden. I, I do think that there was some frustrations there between those two and, and you know, kind of tempers flaring at the end of the – or just the way that the 2018-2019 uh, season ended, going out in six to the Warriors after having pushed them to the brink the, the previous year. However, I do fully believe that had Paul George not asked for a trade to the Clippers and had Russell Westbrook not become available, Daryl Morey and company, they were ready to roll into the season with James Harden and Chris Paul and run it back for a third time. I, I do think that that was the original plan. And then, you know, the stars just aligned with Paul George being traded, and it just made perfect sense to reunite James Harden and Russell Westbrook because there were some questions about Chris Paul's age, about his ability to perform, and genuinely about his role within this Houston team. So maybe it was something petty, or maybe he just couldn't get in contact with James Harden, but I, I try not to read too much into these you know, these types of stories, mainly because I, I remember hearing about it, and then literally the very next day, ESPN has a headline up, and it's like, why wasn't James Harden a part of the call? Who cares? You know who was a part of the call? Russell Westbrook. That should be the story. Rockets still had some representation on that call. It's not like Chris Paul just said, oh, James and Russ, yeah, I'm not going to dial them up. Forget about that. I'm going to hit up everybody else. No, Russell Westbrook was there. So instead of talking about why James wasn't there, why don't we highlight the fact that Russ was there on the call? Now, you mentioned the fact that the Rockets were very prepared to go into the season with Chris Paul if 
the whole Paul George fiasco didn't happen. But do you think that was the right move? Because I, I feel like when people see what Chris Paul is now doing in Oklahoma City, and I believe they might have been the fifth seed at the time that COVID kind of hit, they, they were doing really well and they were overachieving. And they might have had a better record than Houston at that point in time. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. But but with the success and how well Chris Paul is still playing at his age, do you think that was the right decision? No, well, first off, you're absolutely right. OKC is sitting comfortably in the fifth seed, and the Rockets are right now the sixth seed. And I think that's kind of a two-part thing. I think, one, you're right, Oklahoma City is overachieving a little bit, and I think part part of it is, two, the Rockets have underachieved a little bit. And that, however, doesn't change my opinion of the trade. I think that moving on from Chris Paul and moving to Russell Westbrook was the right decision. And hear me out on this. I kind of mentioned earlier the Rockets' offensive system, the way that it's the, the, the whole system is predicated on having one player who is dangerous enough to, A, facilitate the offense for his teammates, and B, be explosive enough to get his own when needed. And that it's up to said player, either a James Harden or a Russell Westbrook or once upon a time a Chris Paul, to be able to orchestrate the offense in such a way that if it's time for him to get his own shot, he's got to do that. If it's time for him to create for others, he's got to do that. And it's his call, it's his decision. And he has to read and react as to what the defense is giving him. Chris Paul was at a point that I don't think he, even the current Chris Paul that we're seeing play in Oklahoma City, he's having a phenomenal year, but that's because he doesn't have to shoulder nearly as much of the offensive load as he would have here in Houston. Because you think about how the dynamic worked, where James Harden would sit down, then it was you know Chris Paul's turn to run the offense, and everything had to be run through Chris Paul. And we started to see it at the tail end of that 2019 season, where he just didn't have the burst, the first step, the speed, the athleticism, whatever, to get by his defenders. I mean, there were switches in the playoffs against the Golden State Warriors where he couldn't even beat Kevon Looney off the dribble. And you can't have that in this specific rocket system. So you can maybe blame the coaching or the system for not acclimating itself better around Chris Paul. However, that just wasn't going to happen. This is the system that the Rockets run, and Russell Westbrook is a better fit for that system. So I do think the Rockets have underachieved a little bit. It, it kind of started with the fact that Russell Westbrook had a bumpy start to the season. Those first couple months, that November and December, weren't that great. But then he took off in January, and it just so happened that Russell Westbrook's phenomenal takeoff and phenomenal play from January to when the season was suspended coincided with one of James Harden's worst months of his entire career. Had that January not happened to James Harden, the Rockets could very easily be contending for the number one seed in the Western Conference right now. And that's not just blind optimism. James Harden is one of the most consistent NBA players of the last decade, and he seemingly just randomly had this really horrendous month of January and then bounced back and had a pretty solid February. So had that January not happened the way that it did for James Harden, one, it wouldn't have kind of bogged down the excellence of Russell Westbrook, and then two, the Rockets would be a lot better off than they are, and people wouldn't be bringing up the whole, oh, did they make a mistake by trading Chris Paul deal? No, I think it was the right move for both organizations, and it's played out as best as it could for both ball clubs. Now, uh, really, Westbrook took off, I believe, right after the Clint Capella trade when they got rid of Clint Capella. Why do you think that was? Do you think really kind of taking away another lane clog or really opened things up that much more for Westbrook to where he was able to play so much better? Absolutely. And it's it's a twofold thing. So the first of which it kind of started in January, even before Clint Capella was dealt, was Russell Westbrook decided, made this, made this active choice 
to start to start limiting his three-point attempts, to focus on exclusively what he excelled at, which is getting shots right at the rim and focusing on his mid-range game. Now, his mid-range game is not elite. It's not like Chris Paul's mid-range game. However, if he's a player, you know, if he needs to shoot a couple middies to kind of get in the flow of the game, I'm so be it. I'm okay with him doing, you know, taking some mid-range jumpers if that's what he needs to do to get comfortable. You can't, you know, these these NBA players, they're not they're not 2K players. You can't just you know, spam right trigger and, and drive the ball into the hoop every single possession. That's not how it works. These guys are living, breathing human beings that experience fatigue, exhaustion, you know, banging with other big, gigantic NBA bodies. You know, they're going to have possessions where instead of driving to the rim and taking all that contact, they want to settle for a jumper or they want to, you know, just try and shake their defender and get a clean look instead of having to drive to the rim every single possession. So I think that as far as Westbrook's play goes, he made that choice to hone his game into what he excelled at, and the Rockets organization saw that, and they said, you know what, we're going all in on you, we're going all in on this small ball idea, this philosophy, and we're going to trade Clint Capella for a guy, Robert Covington, who leans into that philosophy, a guy who can space the floor but also still provide you some rim protection and give you another phenomenal perimeter defender. And then we saw it even we saw it take off even further because officially the first the first official game of Rocket Small Ball was I believe January 31st in a home game against the Dallas Mavericks because Clint Capella was suffering from at the time it was unknown but it, later we found out it was plantar uh, plantar fasciitis and so that was the first game in which PJ Tucker started at center officially and the Rockets eked out a win. Kristaps Porzingis had like 35 and 15. He went off. So there was a lot of concerns there about whether or not this was a legitimate strategy, but it worked. And I think there were enough. There was enough of a sample size of the Rockets using PJ Tucker as a small ball five, where they thought, you know what, we can maximize Russell Westbrook, and we can also shore up our perimeter defense and add another core piece to this, you know, championship contender in Robert Covington by dealing Clint Capella. So I think it was the right move. You think it was the right one because I feel like at the time it was very much criticized. And even I think at first I criticized it, and then they proved me wrong because then they played really well after. I think they even beat the Lakers during that stretch when they made made the trade. But I guess my thing was just a team winning a championship with. The, I mean, how tall is PJ Tucker? Is PJ Tucker like six seven? He is six foot five. So I was gonna say six foot five. I didn't, I didn't want to lowball the man. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> he's 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 not he's a strong guy, but he's not very big for for an NBA center, and it's just. I guess it's just so hard to think of because you think about basketball, you think of height. It's just hard to think of a team being successful like that, but they find a way. Why do you think that is? And do you you think that's sustainable in the playoffs? So there's a two-part thing to that, and I I love that you asked me this question. Just today, uh, well, I recorded it with him yesterday, but just today I aired a podcast with former Houston Rockets Steve Novak. And I actually asked him the question because Sean Marion, who was a part of those uh, Mike D'Antoni, Phoenix Suns with Steve Nash and Mark Stoudemire, you know, they also played at the time a version of small ball. You know, they were smaller than any other team in the league. And now, to, by today's standards, Amari Stoudemire would be a, a perfectly great center to, to trot out there at 6'10", maybe 6'11". That's how much athletic, the NBA's changed. Oh, my gosh. So. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, basically, at the time, they were severely undersized because they were running Sean Marion at the four. And Sean Marion did a podcast with, I forget who he was talking to, but he basically said something to the effect of, you know, by the time that they made it to the, to the Western Conference semis or the Western Conference 
conference finals every year on those Suns teams, they were exhausted. They were wiped out because of two things, because of the, the style of basketball that they played and because of the minutes and the rotations that Mike D'Antoni used. And that made a lot of sense. Mike D'Antoni, one of the, the biggest criticisms of him is his short rotations, the fact that he likes to run these seven, eight-man rotations, doesn't really go into his bench that often. And the concern is, can you do that with small ball? Now, something that Steve Novak pointed out is he said, well, I think nowadays with the league the way that it is right now, you know, maybe back then those Phoenix Suns teams, you know, you had to go up against centers like Yao Ming and Shaquille O'Neal, and you really had to go up against some gigantic, you know, giants uh, of human beings. But in today's league, there's not really anybody like that. Like, if you think of the the two biggest bodied centers in today's league, it, it's uh, Jokic and Joel Embiid. And even they're not they're not nearly as monstrous as, say, Shaq or Yao were. And so it's, it's a little bit different in today's league where you can play a, a five, kind of this five-out offense with five guys who are all roughly the same size and have this switch-everything defense that the Rockets have, and it doesn't penalize you as much as it did back in the day. So I do think there's some concerns, and even I have my own concerns, about the sustainability of it. But over, say, a seven-game series, you know, I think it, it has a chance to, to really you know, catch fire if your shooters get hot from deep. You know, it's, it's game over for the other team. And you mentioned earlier the, the workout regimen that Russell Westbrook and James Harden are taking a part in. Honestly, I think that this hiatus, the break from action, is the biggest boon for the Houston Rockets because now all these players that were dealing with nagging injuries, Russell Westbrook, James Harden had a few you know, spots on them that were banged up, Russell Westbrook. P.J. Tucker had a shoulder stinger that he didn't even opt to get surgery on, things like that. These guys are going to be healthy and right and physically ready to go to play a style of basketball that demands absolute excellence out of them. There, there's a slim margin for error, and so I think that this hiatus gives them a chance to recharge their batteries and be able to come back in guns blazing. Now I want to ask, and you kind of mentioned, you, you've mentioned Mike D'Antoni a couple of times. And I think everybody recognizes that he's a great coach. He's an offensive genius. But I think sometimes people have criticized his attention to detail. Uh, people talk about him as a defensive coach. How he's not, you know, necessarily the best defensive coach. And and you did mention this. You know, he kind of doesn't adjust. It's like our style is our style, which is good. But at some point, most people would say you're probably going to need to adapt. Do you think Mike D'Antoni is a guy that can be a championship coach, or, or do you think that's a little overblown? I absolutely think he's a guy that can be a championship coach. I, I think that he his resume speaks for himself, speaks for itself, and he's just he's come so close so many times and had so many unfortunate things happen to him. I mean, you think about the the whole you know uh, debacle between the Spurs and and the Suns back in the day, and you think back to the most recent case, you know, Chris Paul's hamstring, you know, being up three games to two against the uh, defending champion Warriors. You know, there's a lot of situations where you just look and you're like, man, that's just some really crappy luck for Mike D'Antoni and his team. Now, I will say that there, you know, I've, I've had my own harsh criticisms of Mike D'Antoni as the Houston Rockets head coach. Criticisms of Mike D'Antoni, the short rotations, the lack of adjustments. You know, he has a, a really great first punch, but then if the other team adjusts accordingly, then he doesn't have a countermeasure for it. Maybe there's a coach out there that does have countermeasures in place or that can be a bit more flexible and be able to adapt on the fly accordingly. And if that coach can do that and still get this version of James Harden as well, then it might just be a better pairing at that point. 
And two, I, I do think Mike D'Antoni is underrated in, in that aspect when you talk about he unlocked James Harden. I mean, he also unlocked Steve Nash. I mean, well, what was Steve Nash before exactly, he got the Phoenix? Yeah. I mean, Steve Steve Nash went 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 from being not not just a guy. I think he was an All Star, but he went from being an All Star is a lot different from a two time league MVP, first ballot Hall of Famer, and James Harden went from a guy that is a twenty five point per game scorer. And then it's like, whoa. Is he the best player in the NBA? Or the, at least the, yeah, the best it, offensive player it, in the NBA? <laughs> exactly, yeah. But what I, what I would ask you is, what type of coach, if they, because Mike D'Antoni is on a one-year contract, right? So if, let's say the Rockets don't win, it, it, would they part ways with him, in your opinion, if they do not win? And if they do, who do you think, what, what's a name out there that you could see them getting? So I'm going to answer the second part of your question first. I actually don't know. And, and, you know, here's the thing, and some people listening might be like, well, why does he know? He's the Rockets guy, right? He should be doing coach research. No. See, you know, I, my thing is, you look at other coaches, and there are, there have been a lot of first-time coaches that have won championships recently. And, you know, the, the name that I always jump to first is Nick Nurse. You know, he's a guy, nobody knew who Nick Nurse was. And, and suddenly, he's a guy who coached the Raptors to a championship. Now, you can't just point at Kawhi Leonard and say, oh, yeah. Kawhi's the only reason the Raptors won that championship. No, Nick Nurse did a phenomenal job coaching that team, and he came out of nowhere. He was, uh, you know, I, I forget where his backstory was, which, which team he started with as a, as a G League assistant or whatever, his, whatever happened with him to get him on that NBA trajectory. But there's a potential that there's another Nick Nurse out there. There's somebody, there's plenty of, of young, innovative coaches that would love to have a chance to, you know, prove themselves at the NBA level or potentially maybe a college coach out there who wants to take, you know, the next step up. I don't have a list of names that I would just point to and say, oh, that's the guy. That's the guy I want the Rockets to get. However, it's kind of to this point where I wouldn't be upset if they brought Mike D'Antoni back. I think he is a great coach, but that bridge may or may not be burned based on how the originally with him and especially now I kind of think that he was you know he was living on borrowed time basically with his contract because if if the Rockets didn't make some serious noise this season I think he was gone regardless you know I and and my kind of floor for Mike D'Antoni this season was they need to make it to the Western Conference Finals and have a competitive Western Conference Finals at that for him to have a new contract moving forward because that's kind of the that's the that's the bare minimum. You know, last year the 2018-2019 season losing in the Western Conference Conference semis, even though it was the Golden State Warriors in six games, that was a disappointment compared to the prior season. And so to to do that again, if you would have lose before the Western Conference Finals, I think you would have been out of here. And now with COVID nineteen, it's kind of a toss up on how everything's going to play out, anyways. Do you think that even if the Rockets did potentially lose and however the postseason looks when it returns, that given COVID and given how everything went, that they would give him a, a grace period or another time? Or do you think that the result would still be the same? I could potentially see him coming back on maybe a one-year deal to kind of get a, another crack at, a, a, you know, whatever version of a, of a regular season we get or some semblance of a, of a normal season next year for the 2020-2021 season, I could maybe see that happening um, if there's something promising in this year's playoffs. Um, the good news for Rockets fans, you know, anybody who likes the Rockets, is they're matched up with the Denver Nuggets right now, and that's a team that they've historically gotten the better of for the last few years. 
However, that was in large part due to the mismatch that Clint Capella uh, was for Nikola Jokic. Now, that mismatch is no longer there. However, James Harden is still, you know, the, the Nuggets really don't have an answer defensively for James Harden. And having a five out there like Jokic, who they can try to force into isolation and, you know, get switched off on James Harden, presents a huge problem for the Nuggets. So, as far as the way the playoff seating looks at this very moment, if they were to potentially just jump straight back into the playoffs and just go straight head-to-head with the Nuggets, the Rockets' chances are looking pretty good, and they're lined up in the bracket that wouldn't include the L.A. Lakers, which is another big benefit. And it's funny you mentioned that potentially if, if things don't work that work out, they could get a, a first-year coach because I haven't thought about that. I was thinking more of an older guy, but when you look at it, not only did Nick Nurse win as a rookie head coach, Steve Kerr won as a rookie head coach, and so did Tyron Lue. So I, I think absolutely, I, I think there is credence to, to what you're saying, and maybe it's not maybe the name brand super established guy. Maybe it's a young guy coming up through the assistant ranks that just needs an opportunity. Now, what I do have to also ask you is. A lot of people have also talked about Daryl Morey. Uh, will he return? And I know Daryl got himself in, and I love Daryl because we have the same name, but uh, uh, Daryl got himself into a little bit of trouble in the beginning of the year. How, how much of an impact do you think the China thing has had on his job stability in Houston? And do you think he's kind of in a Mike D'Antoni situation as if the team doesn't have a certain level of success, he will not return? I don't think for one second that the Rockets will fire Daryl Morey. And I say that with the utmost confidence right now for a couple of reasons. One, if they were going to fire Daryl Morey, they would have done it immediately. It would have been a, a rash decision on the part of management, and it would have been something that was handled poorly in, in the heat of the moment when things originally happened, which was a big concern. There was a huge concern, especially because there was a period of about – a few, a few days or up to a week or however long it was before Commissioner Silver actually came out and spoke on the issue, there was some legitimate concern uh, league-wide of what is going to happen with Daryl Morey. Is he going to be the NBA scapegoat? Will they sacrifice him to the Chinese government and just say, all right, well, Daryl, you shouldn't have done that. Um, you know, China... You know that the you know uh, <laughs> there's the whole there's there's the whole LeBron James quote they got thrown around. You know China buys sneakers too, and um, <laughs> you know and, you know and, and there was a legitimate concern that maybe the NBA would have you know scapegoated Daryl Morey and just been like, yeah, you shouldn't have done it. Now you're fired. Get out of here. But they didn't do that. Adam Silver came out, and time and time again, Adam Silver has proved himself to be far and above, I think, the best commissioner of the three major sports leagues, the way that he handled the Donald Sterling situation after becoming you know, a brand-new commissioner and just every little thing that has popped up ever since then, the passing, regretfully, of both David Stern and Kobe Bryant, um, you know, all these different things that he has dealt with as commissioner, and the Daryl Morey situation was a big one. And I, he earned a lot of respect that day from me and a lot of people by coming out and saying no free speech is a right and we will not censor our employees free speech so i don't think for a second that the rockets are going to turn around and fire daryl morey because one there's nothing to fire him for now if he were to be fired people would easily be able to trace it back and be like oh well it's just a retroactive decision because of what happened with china and that would not look good on the rockets at all so i don't think that's the situation i don't think he's getting fired if daryl morey leaves the organization i think it's going to be of his own free will and I and I actually think Daryl, to, to me, you can make an argument he's the best GM in basketball. I don't know how you feel about that. Maybe he is the best GM in basketball. I think he's easily top three. I think I think top three is is 
you know, I, again, I don't want to be, uh, you know, share my undue bias and just be like, you know what, he's the best GM in basketball. You know, I'm a Rockets fan. I'm going to just, you know, toot my horn for anything Rockets related. No, he's probably top three. He's very great at his job. He, he knows exactly what he's doing. And, and the thing is, Tillman Fertitta understands that as well. And, and that's the other reason that I don't think he's going to get fired, even though the China situation is a big, you know, issue for this Rockets organization and for the NBA at large. Tillman knows that Daryl is phenomenal at his job, and, and it would be an asinine decision to get rid of him based on something like that. Guess the lesson there is the better you are at your job, the more you can uh, survive uh, doing stuff like that. <laughs> now, well, what I what I do also want to ask you is this: like a lot of people, a lot of people talk about Daryl Morey. They always talk about analytics, but what does that mean? Because I think the general fan out there, when they when they think analytics, they just think three point shooting. But well, but well, when Daryl Morey talks analytics, what well, what does he mean? Um. Now, and here's the thing, right? Is you know, even from my standpoint. Um, I'm not. Uh, I'm not a huge analytics junkie. You know, I, I I use basketball reference and I pull up stats and I and I do my research. But by no means am I, you know, a, a super genius when it comes to analytics. But the basic way to, in my opinion, to kind of think about analytics is it's just using numbers to prove better ways to play the game of basketball. And I think that's why you got a lot of old heads out there that are, you know, they take exception to the analytics movement because they don't want a computer or a machine telling them how to play the game of basketball. You know, we see Kevin Durant jump in Twitter fights with uh, Matt Moore of Action Network HQ all the time because, you know, Kevin Durant's a guy who likes to take his mid-range jumpers. Even though the, even though the analytics say that a mid-range jumper is, you know, one of the worst shots in basketball, Kevin Durant's good at them. And that's because the numbers actually back it up. If you, if you look at the percentages of certain players you know, Chris Paul is another one. If you if you're shooting above fifty percent from from the mid range, you can take that shot, and it's a good shot. The numbers support that. But what the numbers don't support are guys who are shooting you know forty forty five percent from mid range, and you know they're jacking up eight nine mid range jumpers a game. That's not great. That, that's that's bad. Those are bad shots. And so I think that's just the way to look at the way to understand analytics is it's basically advanced basketball theory on how to be the most effective at the game. Now, since you're a Houston Rockets fan, I have to ask this. What was going through your mind that game six when they're playing the Warriors in 2018? Is it, is it 2018? That, that was probably the best Houston team they've had in a while. Well, what was going through your mind after that game? Game six or game seven? Okay, let's do both. Let's start with game six. Well... With game six, you know, going into the game, there was a bit of a sense of dread, right? You're missing Chris Paul, and you're up three games to two on the defending champs, but you don't have the the Robin to James Harden Batman. And so now it's it's a truly a David versus Goliath story with James Harden by himself. You know, uh, the Rockets role players that year were phenomenal, but he was the only true blue superstar on the team. Chris Paul being his his all-star co-pilot, but, you know, up against the likes of Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, and not to mention the fact that the Warriors themselves had some phenomenal role players in Sean Livingston, Andre Iguodala, um, those guys. So there was a sense of dread going into that game where you kind of felt like it was going to be a loss, and you kind of just knew that the series was going to go to seven games. And I remember thinking... 
being cautiously optimistic because in both games, in Game 6 and in Game 7, if memory serves properly, they had a, the Rockets had a double-digit lead at halftime in both of those games, but the, the third-quarter Warriors struck both games, and unfortunately there just wasn't enough gas left in the tank for the, for the Rockets who were down to running a, I believe it was a seven-man rotation, basically a seven-man rotation minus Chris Paul because the only other guys that they had on the bench were at the time were Luke Mbamute, who was suffering from a shoulder injury that he suffered right at the end of the regular season, Ryan Anderson, who was unplayable against the Golden State Warriors, and a 78-year-old Joe Johnson, who could not keep up with anybody on the Warriors, who they even had to run the offense through at times during Game 6 and Game 7 because James Harden just needed a bit of a rest, and there was nobody else that could be the legitimate playmaker for that Rockets offense, which kind of speaks to what I talked about earlier, the way the system is built, where you have to have an elite scorer slash playmaker to make the Mike D'Antoni system work. And you can't just you can't just give the ball to Eric Gordon and say, hey, dish out a few dimes. It just doesn't work that way. So that game six was, you know, terrifying going into it. And then we all kind of know what happened with game seven, the 27 missed three-pointers, which I will always and forever point to the fact that Scott Foster waved off a three-pointer that was clearly a continuation call about halfway through that 27-missed drought. Um, I'm not blaming the refs for that loss. The Rockets lost that game fair and square. However, the refs absolutely didn't need to help the defending champions win that game. How much do people in Houston still talk about that game? <laughs> like, do people really? Do people believe, like, is the common thought that if Chris Ball doesn't get hurt, they, they win in six? I think the common belief is that if Chris Paul didn't get hurt, they would have won the series. I don't know if it's as as far out as saying they would have won in six. Now, the Rockets were carrying a lot of momentum from games four and five, and they very well could have walked into Oracle with a healthy Chris Paul, you know, a Chris Paul that didn't have a, uh, a pulled pork hamstring, you know, falling apart at the seams. Uh, they, they very well could have gone in there and knocked out the Warriors in six. Do I think that would have happened? No. Do I think that they would have won the series with a healthy Chris Paul? Absolutely. And the reason for that is, you know, I mentioned already that they had double-digit leads at halftime of both of those games. Chris Paul provided the steadying, calming hands, the, the, the safety net to the Houston Rockets that they desperately needed. You know, they were such a volatile team with the three-point shooting, with the way that they played, with the, the amount of points. They, they could drop 40 points one quarter and then 18 the next quarter. It was extremely volatile. But the one thing that they had working in their favor was Chris Paul and the sustainability of his mid-range game. Because if you needed a bucket, Chris Paul could slow it down, get it into the half court, and he could create for himself that year. And then we saw him struggle to do that the following year, which is why I think that kind of led into the trade for Russell Westbrook, because he just wasn't able to be that version of himself anymore. Well, we covered a lot, Jackson. I, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I had a great time. If you ever want to talk Rockets or NBA hoops, I'm happy to join again. For sure, for sure. I, I appreciate it once again. Thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. And once again, I want to thank Jackson Gatlin for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate it. And that's it, folks, for the 161st episode of Barbershop Sports Talk. Mm-hmm.